41, and as you turn there, how many of you, again, I just haven't checked in a while, this is your first night in a series in the life of Joseph, a story of God's sovereignty. Raise your hand if this is your first night. Just our college students. Awesome. Well, welcome. Let me start on message number one. No, I'm not going to do too much review. My wife actually got mad at me, and she said, you do too much review. She said that about my Sunday school lessons and about my preaching, so I don't want to review too much. But I do want to go over Genesis chapter number 41 and just mention we've been here for nine weeks and hasn't it been an amazing nine weeks as far as the content and uh, what the Lord is doing in the life of Joseph. But it's been kind of discouraging, maybe a little bit. There's been some positive things to glean. But as far as Joseph is concerned right now, things are not going too well, nor have they been going well at all. We've seen little blimps in the radar of success, but all of the pitfalls and the catastrophes have been catastrophic. They've been major. But tonight, we're going to be encouraged. Tonight, we're going to look at something that's supposed to be encouraging to us. Genesis chapter number 41, we'll read the first 14 verses, but we are going to cover the entire, um, uh, we're going to cover the entire uh, chapter of Genesis 41. Let me plug this in. Another thing my wife hates that I say is when I say, if you're going to miss a week, don't miss next week, miss this week. But, okay, I'm not joking, putting joking aside, if you're going to miss a message, I would encourage you, please don't miss, not next week because we won't have service on Wednesday night, but the following week, it'll be the first message of 2019, and that falls on my shoulders, that's very intimidating, but nonetheless, I'm excited about what we're going to cover, I'll go ahead and just tell you, we're going to be covering, if we miss, and I said this in week number one, if we miss the beautiful picture that Joseph paints of Jesus Christ, then we've missed the story of Joseph completely. So don't miss, we're going to kind of have a little bit of a midterm, not next week, but the week after that. So don't miss uh, next, uh, not next Wednesday, but the week after that, we're going to be going over the story of Joseph and Jesus and compare what we've already learned with what the New Testament says about Jesus Christ. So I'm excited about that message, but I'm excited about this one. This one's going to be encouraging. Let's look at verse number one. And it came to pass at the end of two full years... That Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine and uh, fat-fleshed. And they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed. And stood by the other kine upon the banks of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kine did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kine. So Pharaoh awoke. And he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the musicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servant and put me in ward in the captain of the guard, in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream, and there was there a man, uh, excuse me, and there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew servant to the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man according to his dreams did he, uh, he did interpret. And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was. 
Me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. Again, up until this point, it's been very discouraging. It's been very lowly. We've looked at all the uh, major difficult circumstance that jo- uh, circumstances that Joseph has had to endure. But tonight, for just a few moments, I'd like to talk to you about this subject in light of our text. Finally, promotion. Finally, promotion. It's been a long time coming. It's only taken us nine weeks. It took Joseph how many years? 13 years to get to this point. 30 years of life and 13 years of the most difficult circumstances that we've ever seen a man go through. But finally, it's time for a promotion. Let's look at, uh, go to the Lord in prayer, then we'll look at this text tonight. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us tonight, that you'd fill me with your power and you'd continue. As we continue through the life of Joseph, you'd continue to speak to me, Lord, as you have this week. You've been talking to me about this very subject. Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I try to uh, get across the truth that you've shown me this week in light of your text Uh, It's been a very heavy text, Lord, as we've gone through the life of Joseph and seeing all the negative things. I don't want to cover all the negative things. I'm excited we finally get to get to something positive tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd just fill me with your power. I pray that I'd speak slowly, that I'd speak clearly, and everything that is done tonight would be to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Um, I went to Heartland Baptist Bible College. I went in the fall of 2000. And eleven, and in the fall of 2011, I met a beautiful brown, uh, brown-haired, green-eyed girl. Her name is Rebecca. That's my wife. And so uh, I, I met her in the early fall, and I instantly, this is another story entirely, ask me sometime because it's actually a really interesting story, but I instantly, I'm serious, it was love at first sight for me, not for her. She was not interested. Matter of fact, I kid you not, there were multiple occasions, I believe about six or seven times where she said, I don't like you, I won't like you, and I never will like you, and that needs to be okay. And now I have a ring on my finger and a son, and we've been married for five years. But that's not the point. The point that I'm trying to say is that I saw Rebecca, I was interested in her, and I began to try to pursue a relationship with her that fall. And uh, as we began to uh, develop a friendship, I was at a point in my life that I was not supposed to be spiritually uh, long story short, uh, those of you that know, my dad was just here, my mom was just here. Uh, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's the summer before that I was supposed to go to school. And on my radar, I was going to a different Bible college. Uh, my, my intentions were not carnal necessarily, but I had my own way that I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. How many of you have ever done that before? I had a, a different uh, path that I had chosen for myself as far as what I was going to accomplish in my life for the Lord's will, but I was not honed in on what the Holy Spirit was trying to tell me to do. And so because of the circumstance with my mom, it led to me not going to that college, but going to Heartland. And man, I had just a terrible attitude. I hated it. I viewed it as a complete roadblock rather than a detour in regards to the will of God. And so I viewed my time there as a waste of time. But then I saw Rebecca and I kind of began, maybe the Lord might be in this. And so, nonetheless, the Lord actually, in a very serious way, used my wife's testimony uh, as, a, as a way to get my attention and to stop focusing on my path and start trying to hone in on what the Lord's will for me is. And so that's where uh, I want to pick up. I had to give that backstory, but I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing after a relationship with my wife. And I had a friend. His name was Richard Fasaro. He was three years older. I was a freshman, and he was a junior, about to be senior. And he also liked a girl named Rebecca. And uh, uh, honestly, in, in my time at Heartland, I had uh, many, many opportunities, great teachers and professors, and obviously a great pastor, Brother Gaddis, and great mentors uh, that were uh, at the collegiate level, but 
one of the greatest influences in my life was actually through an upperclassman named Richard Fasaro. And Richard Fasaro, uh, man, he had a heart for me and he would invest in me. And I can remember one day we were in uh, his truck and we were talking about all these different uh, scenarios that had happened in my life. And although now I know it was the Lord's will at the time, that was a very difficult pill for me to swallow because I'm still thinking I need to go here and I'm going this direction. I'm thinking that there's a crossroads and that I'm not sure which direction to go. And so all the while, he's just listening to me go on and on and on, and I'm trying to seek his counsel, but I wasn't willing to shut up and listen to him. And finally, he said, Lamar, stop talking. Just stop talking. Listen to me. And he said these words, they sound extremely simple, but they, they, they played major weight with me. And here's what he said. You know what to do, so therefore do what you know until you know what to do. That went over some of your heads, I could just tell. I'll say it again. You know what to do, so do what you know until you know what to do. And that, I mean, that blindsided me. That truth has stuck with me all, all these years. That was about seven or eight years ago. But that, that played a major, major swing in my life as far as me pursuing after what I thought was God's will and me shutting up, I shouldn't say, me being quiet and me honing into the leadership of the Holy Spirit and following after the things of God, another way to say it would be this, and it's a very common term that we use all the time, have faith. Have faith. If faith were something that we knew, if faith were something we could be assured of and know exactly how it's going to play out, that's not faith at all. Faith is having the, having the trust that God is going to come through even when you can't see what is directly in front of you, even if you can't see what is on the morrow. Have faith. Do what you know until you know what to do. And I will never forget that. They played, again, played major weight on my journey here. And I would not be standing here today if I did not take heed to that advice. And that's exactly how we ought to uh, pursue living the Christian life, isn't it? Do what you know until you know what to do. In other words, have faith. Have faith that God, who has started a good work in you, is able to perform it. He's able to do it. He's able to accomplish it. That's faith. Very easy to say, very difficult to accomplish. The songwriter put it this way, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. When you cannot see the hand of God moving, know that it is and have faith that he will accomplish everything that he's trying to accomplish if you will trust in him. If there was ever a man who had no clue what tomorrow held, we've learned it's Joseph. Joseph did not know what was on the morrow. Joseph didn't know what was on the other side of these difficult circumstances. Again, one day he's favored by his father and the next day, He's thrown into the pit and sold into slavery. One day he's ruling over the house of Potiphar and the next day he gets accused of attempted rape and he gets thrown into prison. If I'm Joseph at this point in our text, I would be ridden with this word called worry. Worry. We love to worry about everything, don't we? Me and Brother Lance, uh, he was just over at my house about an hour ago, hour and a half, and he's working on my uh, uh, heating system, help, trying to help me fix it, and we were going over talking about these little circumstances in life, and he said this. He said, I really don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not worried about it because I know God's in control. But, you know, and we, we said this, did we not, Brother Lance? Worry can become an addiction. I mean, we can become addicted to worrying, and it starts small. We begin to stress over, usually it's the major things, right? We stress over the big things, and we don't stress over the little things, but eventually we find ourselves in the position where every single situation in life, every catastrophe that faces us or every dilemma that faces us, we are prone to worry. Do you know worry is a sin? Worry is a sin? Worry is saying that I know that God can, but I don't believe that he will. 
Worry is, is saying, I don't know what I'm going to do about that situation, but I don't know. I don't think an almighty and a righteous God is going to have the capability to be able to come through on my tiny, petty problems. We can, we can become addicted to worrying. What does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy path. In other words, do what you know until you know what to do. What do we know? Trust God. Don't worry. If we have faith and we trust in the plan of God, God is going to see us through. He's going to be able to give us uh, the path that he has chosen for us. He might not tell us what is on the morrow. He might not tell us how we're going to come through on this difficult uh, circumstance or this dilemma or this trial, but we ought to have faith in knowing that if God is not a liar, if God has given us Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 for a reason, he's going to come through on his promise. He's going to direct our path if we trust in him. Easy to say again, but very difficult to do. Very difficult to accomplish, but that's how God works. Joseph learns to follow the sovereign hand of God, look at this, day to day. Day to day. How many of you were here just a couple of months ago when uh, Pastor Paul uh, Gentry was traveling and he came through and he preached that message day to day? Do you remember that? Uh, when I think of that message, I think of the life of Joseph because Joseph did not have a road map. He did not have a, a plan of action. Joseph had no clue what even tonight held, let alone 5 and 10 and 15 years from now. Joseph just chose, I'm going to trust the hand of God. I know that he's at work. He was at work in, in yesterday, and I know he's already working in tomorrow. Therefore, I'm going to trust him today. Joseph understood that although he couldn't see what awaited him on the other side of these decisions, if he was faithful to uphold his integrity and character, remember we talked about that, that God would take care of the details. Aren't you so thankful we don't have to worry? We don't have to be consumed with all the minor details or the major details. I'm not talking about just walking through life without a care in the world. I believe that the Bible, it blesses uh, uh, planning and, and seeking after God and praying about things. I'm not saying that we should just flippantly live the Christian life without a care in the world, but I am saying, cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Trust in the Lord, have faith to know that God is sovereign and God is in control. How many of you know who Corey Ten Boone is? You ever heard that name before? Corey Ten Boone is survivor and author of many books and biographies regarding the Holocaust. She wrote this in her book, Triumph for God. She wrote this insert. One week before the orders came to kill all of the women my age, I was freed. I still do not understand all the details of my release from Ravensbrook. All I know is it was a miracle from God. The gate swung open, and as I glanced at the lake in front of the camp, I could smell freedom. Follow me, a young girl said in an officer's uniform. I walked slowly through the gate, never looking back. Behind me, I heard the hinges swing as the gates swung shut. I was free. And flooding through my mind were the words of Jesus to the church at Philadelphia. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. No man can shut it. That's the story of Corey Ten Boone. And as I read that story, as I read that insert, uh, and I, I looked at the life of Corey Ten Boone, a lady, by the way, who suffered very many difficult trials and circumstances herself, my mind kind of went to Joseph. Went back to Joseph. Up to this point in our study through the life of Joseph, again, we've seen nothing but difficulties, setbacks, pain, and dilemmas. One dilemma after another, and it is becoming increasingly difficult to see God's hand in Joseph's problems. Again, he's hated by his brothers, he's thrown into the pit, he's sold into slavery, he's sold to the house of Potiphar, and then he's thrown into prison for something that was not uh, uh, true of him. He was falsely accused of rape, thrown into prison, and then he was forgotten in prison for, our text says, two whole years. 
But now, after 13 years of difficult pain and 30 years of life, finally, as Miss Corey Timboon said, I'm free. Finally, I'm free. Finally, I get to experience promotion. Freedom. All the while, in the midst of every catastrophe, God was working behind the scenes throughout the life of Joseph, ready, here it is, for just one moment of promotion. Do you hear me? One moment of promotion. Grasp your mind around that thought. One moment. Everything that we have done in the past nine weeks has developed to this very moment. There's far, we have very many verses and very many chapters to cover about what Joseph does with this promotion. But in a very real sense, this is the last point in which Joseph turns from difficult trials and circumstances to what we know Joseph as the second in command in the land of Egypt and someone who accomplished great things for God. It was at this moment. For 30 years of life and 13, again, 13 years of the most difficult, the most uh, uh, horrendous trials that we've ever seen recorded in Scripture aside from Jesus Christ, God was preparing Joseph for this moment. 30 years of problems for one moment of promotion. Now from the outside looking in, humanly speaking, that's not a fair trade. That is not a fair trade. 30 years of life, 13 years of difficult trials and circumstances for this singular moment of of promotion. We look at that humanly speaking and we come to the conclusion that that's not a fair trade. Joseph went through again some of the most difficult trials and circumstances that has ever been mentioned in scripture amongst man, all for one moment of promotion. Humanly speaking, that's where our mind can go to, but listen, this was no ordinary promotion. This was no ordinary promotion. Joseph was seemingly wasted, excuse me, has seemingly wasted the first portion of his life in the pit in Potiphar's house and then in prison, all for this moment. Remember, Joseph has been set apart for something bigger than himself. Through these visions that God gave him, God had set forth a path for Joseph. He's going to bring him to a position of high authority. God's got big plans for Joseph. And all those difficult trials and circumstances that Joseph has gone through has come to this moment. This promotion wasn't just that of position. I want you to think bigger than that. This was not just a position. He was, again, he's the lowest man on the totem pole there in the, uh, in the, in the prison there at Pot, uh, in Potiphar's prison. And now he's, we're going to see in our text, he's second in command in the entire nation of Israel, or excuse me, the entire nation of Egypt. That's a big promotion positionally, but it's far greater than that. God had different plans and intentions. God's hand on the life of Joseph brought him forth to this promotion for something greater than just his position. This promotion lifted up Joseph, here it is, so that he could lift God higher. This promotion came in the life of Joseph, not so people could look at Joseph and say great things of Joseph, but that Joseph would have a great platform to promote his God. God worked behind the scenes throughout the life of Joseph for this moment, not so that Joseph could be lifted up, although we're going to see that he was lifted up. This promotion was a big positional promotion. But he did it for his name's sake. God did this in the life of Joseph. Here it is, for his glory. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. What a promotion. Finally, after everything we've been through, after everything Joseph has been through, finally promotion. A few things I'd like us to notice of this promotion tonight. Number one, write this down. I want you to write down God's path. God's path. Joseph was in prison, but again, all along, God was at work behind the scenes. Joseph serves for two whole years in Potiphar's prison, seemingly forgotten by the butler, but all the while we know the sovereign hand of God was in control. He was doing his finest work in Joseph's darkest hour. Look at verse number 8 of our text, 41. Uh, chapter number 41 and verse number 8 says, And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, that's 
Pharaoh. And he sent and called for all the musicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. We start that verse with, and it came to pass. And it came to pass. Never a more hopeful sentence in the word of God than when those words appear in scripture. And it came to pass. You know what that means? That means difficulty, trials, and circumstances flood our way. But then time comes to pass and all the while God is working behind the scenes. One thing that I've learned, or excuse me, I shouldn't say I've learned because I haven't learned anything. I'm learning everything. Did you hear that? If you get to the place where you've learned everything, how about you just teach the lesson and, and, and I'll just sit and let you teach. Now, I'm learning this in the Christian life, but sometimes when it seems that God has checked out, it seems in the situations, the dilemmas, and the difficult circumstances of life, it can seem as though God has checked out. I'm talking about my life. When I look at the problems that I face, I don't see the hand of God in control. I'm just talking humanly speaking. When I look at the major catastrophes or the few major catastrophes that have happened in my life, it it can become very difficult to see the hand of God moving. But what's funny and what scripture tells us is that what? He's already in tomorrow. He's already working on what's going to happen tomorrow. He's in today, but he's already working on tomorrow. He's just waiting on me to, here it is, check in. God does not check out. When we go through difficult trials and circumstances, he doesn't check out. His hand is there even when you can't see it. Trust him. Something else that I'm learning in my life is that God's path is never my path. God's path is never my path. I did not say God's path is rarely my path. I said never. I don't know about you, but I'm just talking about me. I have never, I've never reached a point in my life where I look back and say, yeah, I would have done it that way, actually. That's exactly how I would have done it. Wonderful, Lord, we're on the same page. Maybe in some aspects I would have coincided with the Lord and I would have followed his leadership, but there are many points in a, in a major decision where I've looked at the ends of the means and said, I wouldn't have done it that way, but I sure am glad that I trusted God. God's path is never my path. Matter of fact, when we look at the life of Joseph, I don't think there's a soul in this room that can get to Genesis chapter number 51 and come to the conclusion, yeah, I, I would have done it the exact same way, Lord. Wonderful decision making. I would have put through Joseph through all those different, yeah, I see what you did there. I'm on the same page. I don't think any of us would be guilty of saying that. I don't think any of us would be guilty of saying, I would have done it exactly how God did it. But if God did not do what he did in the life of Joseph exactly how God did it in the life of Joseph, we would not have Genesis chapter number 41. Matter of fact, quite the opposite, actually. When we look at our lives and we look at the situations that we face in our lives, rarely, if ever, do we say, yep, I would have done it that way. God's path is never our path. So that brings us to the question, why did God choose this path for Joseph? Why did God choose this path for Joseph? It's a difficult path. Matter of fact, it's the most difficult path. We've developed that thought. This is the most difficult path I've ever seen. The Lord is trying to bring him to this position of prominence. Why did God go through these steps to get Joseph to where he was in Genesis chapter number 41? Why did God choose this path? A few things I'd like you to notice of the path that God chose. Letter A, God's path involves God's glory. God's path involves God's glory. For man... The destination is all that we are concerned about. Would you agree with that? All we're concerned about is where we're going. We don't care how we get there. I just want to get from point A to point B. I don't care how I get there. I'm not concerned about the journey. And again, when we look at our life, here's the factors that we come to. the Here's, here's, here's the deciding factors on what path we will choose. How can I get from point A to point B easily and efficiently? And what is the path of least resistance? Would you agree with that? 
I want to get from point A to point B as quickly as possibly, as painly as possibly. I want to choose the path of least resistance. I'll take what's behind door number one. No problems, no bad situations, and it's quick, it's easy, it's painless. It's going to get me to the position that I want to go to quickly, efficiently, no pain. For man, all we see is the destination. But let me tell you, God is very concerned about the journey. God is very concerned about the path that we take to accomplish his will. God is very concerned with the day-to-day decisions and the path that we choose to take when we are following after God's will. Listen, for Joseph to get from point A, that is his dreams that God gave him in Genesis 37, to point B, his dreams realized in Genesis 41, it mattered greatly how he got there. It mattered greatly how he got there. Why? Here it is. Because if Joseph finds himself in the position of authority without God getting the glory, the story of Joseph changes from God's sovereignty to man's potential. I'll say that again. If Joseph gets to the position that he's in and he doesn't go the path that he takes, God does not get the glory and therefore the story of Joseph changes completely. It's no longer a story of God's sovereignty, but now it is a story of man's potential. It is a story of what Joseph has accomplished. It is a story of the path Joseph took and where Joseph uh, ends up and how Joseph got there. God is greatly concerned with whether or not he gets the glory. Matter of fact, that's the main thing he's concerned about. God's path involves God's glory. Secondly, let her be, write this down. God's path involves God's timing. God's path involves God's timing. We developed this thought very briefly last week, but we're going to look at it. Look at verse number one of our text. And it came to pass... At the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. As Joseph is sitting there in prison, God was putting together the pieces for a major supernatural unveiling of his provision and power. And he was going to use Joseph as a major role in this major display of what? God's glory. But listen, if Joseph gets ahead or behind God... And his timing, everything that God was trying to do, everything that God had already put in motion motion up until this point, would not have only been hindered, it would have been completely stopped. Again, if Joseph gets ahead of God, we've got major problems. If Joseph gets behind God, we've got major problems. It was essential, it was crucial. Not Not just that Joseph reaches where he reaches, but that he gets there in God's timing. It was essential for Joseph to get the timing right. It was crucial for Joseph to be exactly where God needed him to be in order for God to get the outcome that he desired. Question, did this timing make sense to Joseph? No. (laughs) Simple answer, no. How many of you put in Joseph's situation in Genesis 37 would have chosen the timing and chosen the path that God had set out before Joseph? Not a single one of us. Not in the slightest. Joseph was not uh, in, in tune. Again, he has to have faith day to day. He doesn't have a roadmap. He does not have the plan of God set before him. But God's timing is kind of peculiar. If you're going through the life of Joseph and you are in, let's just say you're in the prison at this point and you look back, you kind of question the timing of God. Again, we look at the life of Joseph and none of us would choose the path nor the timing that God chose for Joseph. But then again, we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story. Joseph did not. Joseph didn't have the end of the story. Joseph didn't have Genesis 41 through 50. Joseph just had today. God's path involves God's glory. God's path involves God's timing. That's God's path. Number two, I want you to write this down. God's perfection. God's perfection. How can we trust the sovereign hand of God when we don't know the end of the story? 
talking about it in our own lives. How can we trust the sovereign hand of God when we don't have the roadmap? How can we trust that God is in control when we don't even know what tomorrow holds? When we cannot even see the end of this present day trial, how can we have the comfort in knowing that it will work out in the end for God's glory? Here it is, by holding to the reality that God's plan is a perfect plan. In our text, we see a few things of God's perfection. I want you to write these down. Letter A, we see God's perfect moment. God's perfect moment. Again, this ties into the timing that we just spoke about uh, just a few moments ago, God's timing. But even more specifically, I want you to notice the intricate details of God's plan. The intricate details all the way down to the very moment. What moment? Here it is. Look at verse number nine. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was, excuse me, there was there with us a young man, an Hebrew servant to the captain of the guard. And, excuse me, and we told him and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man according to his dream did he interpret. And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was, me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. So God gives these dreams, these two dreams to Pharaoh, and these dreams greatly troubled Pharaoh, that's what our text tells us. So therefore he calls all the musicians of, and the sorcerers of the land to try to come in and try to give uh, Pharaoh these interpretations of these dreams. And to the frustration of Pharaoh, we know, and I know I'm being very practical, but I want to develop a thought here. Uh, the frustration of Pharaoh, to the frustration of Pharaoh, these men couldn't decipher the meaning behind these dreams. And look who finally comes through just in the nick of time, the butler. Finally, it's about time, right? After two long years, Joseph has been forgotten in prison, right? That's where we talked about, that's where we left off last week. Two full years, Joseph has been forgotten by the butler in prison. But just in the nick of time, what does our text say? I do remember. Wait a second, I do remember my faults. King, there was a man in prison. Me and the baker were there in prison and, and we had these troubling dreams and there was a guy there, a Hebrew slave, and I remember telling him uh, these dreams. He was concerned about these dreams and came and asked us about them and we told him these dreams and exactly what he said took place. I know a guy that has the ability to interpret dreams. Do you not see God's perfect timing unfolding here in our text? After, at the end of two full years, now we are 13 years removed from Joseph being in Canaan and his brothers throwing him into prison. Joseph's 30 years old, and for two years, this butler forgets. But in reality, I don't think it was just a forgetfulness. I think it was intentionally forgotten by God because of God's timing, because of God's perfection. Everything that occurred in the life of Joseph boiled down to this very moment. Here it is, verse 14. Verse number 14, that first word, what does it say? Then. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Look at everything that has led us to this point. Everything that has led us to this very moment. Verse number 14. Here it is. How about instead of working forward, let's work backwards. 
Joseph is there in the prison, and, 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 and let's just consider, again, moving backwards, Pharaoh can't call on Joseph if the butler doesn't have the courage to say, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, to speak up when he did. Uh, at, at this point in, in our text, in verse number 14, if, if the butler did not have the courage to come forward and say, hey, I remember my faults this day, Pharaoh, there's a man in prison right now that can come through and deliver uh, your interpretation to your dreams. If that never happened, let's back up a little bit further. The butler's dream wouldn't have happened and it wouldn't have been interpreted unless Joseph was in prison. Back up a little further. Joseph wouldn't be in prison if Potiphar's wife didn't falsely accuse him. Back up a little further. Joseph wouldn't have been in prison, or excuse me, in the house of Potiphar if his brothers didn't sell him into slavery. Let's go further. His brothers wouldn't have sold him into slavery if they didn't hate him. Go back a little bit further. At the very beginning of Genesis chapter number 37, his brothers hated him, hated him yet the more, and hated him even yet the more. Do you not see the unfolding of God's timing? Everything is absolutely intricate. The details that are involved in the timing, God's timing is perfect. God had everything set out. He had a plan for Joseph, and it, and it included all these difficult trials and circumstances leading up to this very moment. When we work our way forward in the life of Joseph, all that we see is trouble, pain, and unfortunate circumstances in the life of a very unlucky man. But if we work our way backwards through the life of Joseph, from this moment of need in verse number 14, you know what we see? God's perfection on full display. There are too many moving parts in the life of Joseph for us to come to any other thing, a conclusion than this, and here it is. Our God is a sovereign God. You can't get to this point in our text and look at everything that has occurred in the life of Joseph and come to any other thing, conclusion than this. Our God is a sovereign God. Our God is in control. You say amen, but what about your life? Seriously, consider your life. What about that difficult trial and the circumstance you're going through at work or in your family? Uh, maybe you're going through a difficult trial personally or, or spiritually or physically. God's sovereign in the life of Joseph, but what about our lives? When it comes to the sovereign hand of God working in our lives today, listen, there are no accidents, only divine appointments divinely orchestrated by God. Did you hear what I said? When it comes to the circumstances of life, when it comes to that difficult trial and circumstance that you're going through right now, there are no accidents. There are only divine appointments divinely orchestrated by God. God's perfection was on full display in the life of Joseph, even down to the very moment that Pharaoh dreamed his dream and called on Joseph. Secondly, of God's perfection, letter B, write this down. God's perfect maneuvering. God's perfect maneuvering. A couple questions for you. At this point in our text, who is the highest man in authority in the entire nation of Egypt? Pharaoh. Highest point of authority. You don't get any higher than Pharaoh. Matter of fact, at this point in our text, Egypt is the most powerful empire in all the world. So we could say that Pharaoh is the number one man on the totem pole in all the world. He's the most powerful man in all of Egypt, maybe even in all the world. Next question. Who's the lowest man in authority in all of Egypt? Joseph. Joseph, he's just the foreman in the prison. Matter of fact, he's still a slave and a prisoner in prison. Highest man in the totem pole, lowest man in the totem pole. There's no reason why their paths should ever cross. There's no reason. Unless Joseph gets his, uh, according to society, his just desserts and is crucified or he's executed, there's no reason why their paths should ever cross. If Joseph were to work his way up in ranks... Eventually, over the course of a long period of time, it took Joseph a year to get to the position in Potiphar's house. It took him 10 years wandering as a slave in the land of Egypt to get to that position. 
It would take a long time for him to build up the ranks in order to get even a glimpse of Pharaoh, but not as a prisoner in Potiphar's prison. There's no reason why their paths should cross. How on earth do we get the highest man in Egypt and the lowest man in Egypt in the same room at the same time under the right circumstances? God's perfect maneuvering. God's perfect maneuvering. God was in control. And all the while, God is moving left and moving right. And even though, humanly speaking, it didn't make sense, God was perfectly maneuvering in the life of Joseph, not for just this moment, but his, 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 his maneuvering and his perfect, perfection is displayed on everything that unfolds into Joseph's life all the way up until this point. Joseph, has, he's at the lowest point he's ever been in in our text, or excuse me, in our study. He's in the prison. And now he gets a meeting with the, with the king of Egypt, with Potiphar. Can you wrap your mind around that? God brings Joseph into the prison and into contact with the lowly butler and allows Joseph to interpret his dream. God makes sure that the butler says nothing about Joseph for two full years. Now at the very moment, all the pieces are in place and God gives Pharaoh these two dreams and troubles Pharaoh to where he can't even sleep at night. God reminds the butler of his Hebrew slave in the prison and gives him the courage to say something to the struggling Potiphar, excuse me, Pharaoh. And this man of high esteem and authority makes a call to the prison and has his Hebrew slave, this Hebrew slave, come into the house of the king so that Pharaoh, a king, can talk to a prisoner, Joseph. Can you wrap your mind around the maneuvering it took to bring these two men together. Man, Lamar, that's such a coincidence. What a coincidence. No, what a God. What a God that he can work in the life of Joseph and bring him to this very moment. That took great maneuvering. The intricate details involved in the story of Joseph are far too significant to say anything less than this. Our God is a perfect God. Our God is a perfect God. Yes, he is a sovereign God, and this is entailed in his sovereignty, but our God is also a perfect God. His timing is perfect. His maneuvering is perfect. Why? Because he is perfect. We see God's path that he set out for Joseph. We see God's perfection. And then thirdly tonight, I want you to write this down. God's procedure. God's procedure. God's procedure in this chapter involved three things. I'll give them to you quickly. Letter A, the problem at hand. The problem at hand, uh, verses 17 through 24, Pharaoh uh, begins to explain this dream, and he tells Joseph, and uh, it begins to explain to him what took place. We've already read that, so we won't go into it, uh, but Joseph gives his response in verse number 25. Let's look. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to, uh, to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Verse 29, behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and all the famine shall consume the land, following, uh, uh, consume the land, excuse me, verse 31, and the plenty shall be forgotten, or excuse me, uh, shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous, and for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Listen, Pharaoh, you need to understand, the reason that God gave you this dream twice is because this is about to come to pass really quickly. 
Here's the interpretation. I'm going to give it to you. There's going to be seven years of God's abundance. He's going to bless the nation of Egypt with abundance in crops. And man, God is going to pour out his blessings. And you're going to have so much uh, abundance, you're not even going to know what to do with it. But it's only to be followed by seven years of nothingness. Seven years of nothingness. It's going to be so grievous, it's going to be so bad, that these seven plenteous years are going to long be forgotten because of the severity of this famine. Pharaoh, you've got a major problem on your hands, but Joseph didn't just give Pharaoh the interpretation. Letter B, I want you to write this down. The solution to heed. The problem at hand, Joseph explains the problem, but I'm thankful that Joseph didn't just provide a problem, he provided a solution. Look at verse number 34. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seventh plenteous years, and let them gather all the foods of those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities, and that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. Pharaoh, here you go. Here's the explanation. Here's what you're going to do. I think you ought to do this, Pharaoh. I want you to, in the seven plenteous years, take 30%. You're going to take 30% in the seven plenteous years, and you're going to put it aside. You're going to put it aside into the cities of Egypt, and you're going to store it in the houses of Egypt, and what's going to happen is that is going to provide, you're going to live off the 70%, but during the famine that's to come in the next seven years, after the seven prosperous years, the 30% is going to provide for the years of famine. Here's the problem, I've got a solution. But Pharaoh needed to understand that a situation like this and a solution like this needed someone to oversee the process and ensure that everything would go according to plan. That brings us to letter C. You're not excited. This is it. This is the promotion that we've been talking about. This is the point where everything turns for the life of Joseph. Letter C, the man for the hour. The problem at hand the solution to heat and the man for the hour. Look at verse number 33. This is Joseph talking to Pharaoh. He says, Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man, discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. And then again, he begins to explain what Pharaoh ought to do, and he gives this solution to Pharaoh. What does Pharaoh say in verse number 38? And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Verse 39, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God hath shown thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, see, look at this, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Look how far we've come. Look how far we've come in the life of Joseph. You know, Joseph, you're right. This is going to need the perfect man for the job, and I've got just the man of the hour. How about you? How about you? You're discreet. You're wise in wisdom. I can see. He doesn't begin to recite everything that Joseph has accomplished. What does he say? Have you seen such a man as this, the spirit, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? 
How about you? Talk about a promotion. Talk about a promotion. God brought Joseph to the lowest point at the beginning of our text only to raise him to the second in command of the entire nation of Egypt. Talk about a promotion. What a promotion. We see God's path for Joseph. We see God's perfection in Joseph's circumstances. God's procedure played out in Joseph's situation. And lastly tonight, I want you to write this down. Number four, Joseph's process. Joseph's process. Joseph just got the promotion of a lifetime. At the beginning of our chapter, Joseph is the lowest man again on the totem pole in Egypt. And by verse number 38, he is now second in command in the most powerful empire in all of the world. We've come a long way. But God brought Joseph up for this very moment. Why should we be surprised? Because he told Joseph he was going to do this in Genesis chapter number 37. But he brings Joseph to this point, and it is a major point of promotion. It is the highest promotion, I believe, ever recorded ever in the history of man. You are a prisoner, and now you are second in command in the most powerful fortress in all of the world. How did Joseph get there? Think about it. How did Joseph get there? What process did Joseph follow to glean this kind of promotion. A few things quickly, and we'll be done. Letter A, Joseph gets the plan from God. We talked about this in uh, week number one, but Joseph gets the plan from God in the form of two dreams in Genesis chapter number 37. And God reveals himself to Joseph in these two dreams. We're not gonna labor long on it. We've already talked about it, but he tells Joseph, Joseph, I've got something in store for you. I've got something major for you. I'm going to bring you to a position of high authority. I've got big plans. I've got big uh, ideas for your life, Joseph. I'm going to set you apart for something even bigger than yourself. We know that God gives him the vision, but you know what God didn't give him, and we've already talked about it, didn't give him a map. That would have been nice. (laughs) Didn't give him a map, didn't tell him about the destination that Joseph would reach and begin to give an explanation. Now look, Joseph, what we're going to do is you're going to be thrown into the pit, you're going to be sold into slavery, you're going to be sold to Potiphar, you're going to get accused of attempted rape, and all that's going to happen, Joseph, but don't worry, I'm going to make it out for you in the end, and I'm going to bring you to this. God doesn't do any of that. God does not reveal his... Uh, his path for Joseph, all he says is, this is what I'm going to accomplish in your life. He just gives uh, Joseph the vision. Joseph gets the plan from God, number B, or excuse me, number B, letter B, write this down. Joseph complies with the path of God. He complies with the path of God. Again, we kind of get all excited about the plan. We get excited about the destination, but when it comes to the path, When it comes to the journey and the way that we're supposed to get to where God wants us to get to, we're a lot less enthusiastic. Remember, we're concerned about the destination, not the journey. Give me the path of least resistance. Whatever door I have to choose, make sure it's the door where I don't have to suffer any problems. I want it to get there quickly, efficiently, and painlessly. Not Joseph. What do you mean, Joseph wanted pain? No, Joseph didn't care about pain. Joseph didn't care about agony. Joseph didn't care about difficult trials or circumstances. All he cared about was this. I want what God has for me. I want what God has for me. I'll follow any path and any means necessary to get what God wants to accomplish in my life accomplished. And the Lord was with Joseph. We see it repeated throughout our text. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord made all that he did to prosper for Joseph's sake. And uh, Joseph found grace in his sight for the Lord was with Joseph. What did Joseph do when life gave him lemons? Talked about it last week. Trusted the plan of God. He had faith in the sovereign hand of God in knowing that God was in control yesterday. He's already in control of tomorrow. Why don't I trust him today? 
when Joseph didn't get, uh, excuse me, uh, when Joseph didn't know what to do, he did what he knew until he knew what to do. You say, Lamar, what did he do? What did he do? What did he know to do? That the Lord was with him as long as he stayed compliant to the plan of God. Do what you know until you know what to do. Joseph did not know what to do when he was in the pit. Joseph did not know what to do when he was sold into slavery. He didn't know what to do when he was in Potiphar's house. He didn't know what to do when he was in the prison. All he knew, uh, excuse me, he didn't know what what he was supposed to do going forward. All he knew what to do was in the moment. He said, I'm going to trust God. I'm gonna have faith in the plan of God and knowing he took care of me tomorrow. He's already working in, uh, in, excuse me, took care of me yesterday. He's already working on tomorrow. I'm gonna trust him today. Joseph gets the plan from God. Joseph complies with the path of God, letter C. Write this down. Joseph reflects the praise to God. He reflects the praise to God. We don't have time to develop this this point in in its entirety. I want to go through every single verse, but I can't. Just jot these down real quickly. In Genesis 41, verse number 16, verse number 25, verse number 28, and verse number 32. In all of these verses, and and not just in this passage alone, throughout the entire life of Joseph, Joseph you never find him taking credit for his position, abilities, or progress. Especially in our text, but throughout the entire life of Joseph, you never see Joseph saying, yeah, I can't interpret dreams. I've been given the gift of that ability. That's something that I possess in and of myself. Joseph never begins to take credit for the position, the abilities, or the progress in his life. What does he do? Reflects the praise to the source of his promotion. In other words, Joseph gives glory to God. Joseph reflects the praise, he reflects the adoration, it's going to come, we see it time and time again in the life of Joseph, whenever Joseph begins to progress a little bit, everybody points their finger at Joseph, what does Joseph do, points the finger back up at God, Mr. Pharaoh, I'm sorry, I apologize, but you've been misinformed, I don't have the ability to interpret your dreams, but I know a man who can, remember we talked about the test of prosperity in the life of Joseph in Potiphar's house, That was just a few weeks ago. The temptation to take credit for Joseph's prosperity is far too relatable to the Christian today. We begin to progress a little bit. God begins to give some victory. And God begins to show up in our difficult trials and circumstances and bring us to a position of prominence and promotion. What do we do? Begin to take credit for what we in and of ourselves have no capability of being able to accomplish save the sovereign intervention of God. Not Joseph. Praise came in. What does he do? Praise goes up. Praise came in, they begin to point their finger at Joseph and talk about the things that Joseph had the capability to do. Instantly, he corrected them and said, it is not me, it is him. He reflected it. They try to give glory to Joseph and he gives all the glory back to the source of his promotion. Joseph gets the plan of God. Joseph complies with the path of God. Joseph reflects the praise to God. Lastly, letter D tonight. Joseph's promotion came by following after the spirit of God. Look at verse 38. We've, we've read it the past five or six weeks, but now we get to look at it in the context of Genesis 41. Verse 38 says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this? Uh, excuse me. Can we find uh, such a one as this is a man in whom the Spirit of God is? In Joseph's shining moment, in the moment that God brought him to, in the height of his prosperity, Joseph's Testimony in his, repre- uh, his, his reputation was not, look at all Joseph can do. His testimony was this, this man is filled with the Spirit of God. This man is one that follows after the things of God. Here's Pharaoh, carnal Pharaoh, the Egyptian saying this of Joseph. This God that Joseph's following, he must be the real God. Joseph had that kind of testimony. 
Joseph was a man that was led by the Spirit, and it showed. Everybody that looked at the life of Joseph had to come to the conclusion that this man is different than any man we've seen before. Why? He is, has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it emanates, it shows. In closing, what can we learn from Genesis chapter number 41 and the turning point in the life of Joseph? It took us a long time to get there, but there's a major lesson to be learned right here. Promotion can be the greatest thing for Joseph or it could be the worst thing for Joseph. Here it is. God's path is sometimes unconventional, but always right. Therefore, follow it. God's perfection is found in the intricate details of his sovereign hand at work. Therefore, trust it. God's procedure brings forth promotion. Therefore, wait for it. When promotion comes, someone's got to get the glory. Therefore, deflect it. Deflect it. God was working behind the scenes in the life of Joseph for 30 years for just a moment of promotion, and he did it all for his glory. He did it all for his glory. This point that God has brought Joseph to was not for Joseph's exaltation, although Joseph was exalted. It was for the name of himself, the name of God. God wanted to see his name lifted up high. What about you tonight? Let me ask you that question. What about you? God wants to bring, your, uh, bring you to a position of prosperity and prominence, but how are you going to handle it? If you follow the process that is set out before the life of Joseph and you apply it to your own lives, God's going to bring you prosperity. And I'm not talking about your kind of prosperity. I'm not talking about your, your ends of the means. I'm talking about God's accomplished will. That's prosperity. God's going to bring you to that position, but what are you going to do with all that glory? When God brings you to that position of light, you ought to do as Joseph did. And when man begins to glorify your position, handle promotion like Joseph did and point the finger back to the source of your promotion. Joseph did that. Here's what he said. God did it, so God gets it. Finally, promotion. But this moment came in the life of Joseph for this purpose, and it was for him to give glory and honor to God. So let me ask you tonight. When you find yourself in the position of prosperity and God prospers you, you better be quick to give the glory to him because he is the source of your promotion. And we're going to learn about this next week. This is only the beginning of what God has been trying to accomplish in the life of Joseph. We're done with the negative and we're done with all the difficult trials and circumstances. Joseph is going to face trial in his life, but now he has a pedestal and a platform for him to exalt the name of God higher than himself. Exactly what God said he would do, he accomplished in the life of Joseph. It did not come by accident. It came by Joseph complying to the path that God had set before him. And when God delivered on his promise, which is no surprise to us, what does Joseph do? Faithful to give the glory to God. Let's stand to our feet. We'll have a brief moment of invitation, and I want you to think about that. When God brings prosperity, what do you do with the glory? You ought to give it to him. He's the source of our promotion. We'll pray, and then we'll enter into a, our time of prayer. If the Lord's spoken to you, you can come forward. If not, we'll go directly into our prayer time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and your grace. We're thankful for your sovereign hand working in the life of Joseph so that it can teach us that you are in control of our lives. But also, Lord, you brought Joseph to a position of high authority exactly like you said that you would. But you did it to accomplish something greater. You did it so that your name could be exalted. But even that could have been deterred if Joseph would have been, uh, began to take credit for the position that you brought him to. But he didn't do that. He gave you glory, honor, and praise. And his testimony was that of a man that was emanating with the Spirit of God. That is a testimony that I desire in my life. 
Lord, you've given me victory, and there have been times in victory that I have raised my hand and said, look at what I have accomplished, and instantly you humble me. Lord, I pray, as you prosper us, as you bring prosperity into the lives of the membership of this church, even this church collectively, as we impact the Bothell community, I pray that we would always be quick to give the glory and the honor and the praise to the source of our promotions. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, be with the requests that were mentioned tonight, be with our prayer time in Jesus' name.